HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief, with your hosts, Sara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. On this show, we're going to really explore where grief and food intersect, how they go hand in hand, different people's experiences with their specific traumas and how food played a part from the beginning to the end of that experience. And how as individuals, we uniquely process life's traumas and losses through either the longing for, the creating of, the avoiding of, the obsessing over, and the eating of food. I remember right after Michael died, I still miss him, but I missed him so badly that night that I stopped at the convenience store on the corner and I bought a container of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia. It's too sweet, you know, it's too everything. And I went home with it and I took it to bed and I thought to myself, gee, so this is my first menage a trois after Michael's death. (laughs) Me... Ben and Jerry. And I ate the entire thing. What do you think your relationship to food was during times of crisis? I think that um, my sister and I use food to reward ourselves. I wish I had something more no, interesting think... to say, but definitely like spaghetti and meatballs and chocolate cake. <laughs> my mom still can't eat rugula. It makes her too sad. I've also experienced a lot of loss, as has Bobby. And I think we really wanted to find a way where we could like work together. There's something that feels very compelling about doing a project with you, Mom, um, as just kind of a missing piece in life and just something we've always wanted to do but not known quite how. can't think of anything better myself. I think that, I mean, any conversation about grief, I think, prepares everyone for grief because there are so few conversations about grief. It's why I think that what you guys are doing is so important. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome the president 
of Wenty Family Estates, Amy Hoops. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Amy about women in the wine world, mentorship, and the Les Dames d'Escoffier Legacy Awards. And we'll also hear Amy's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thinking about your next weekend away? Wanted to include the sea, the sun, great food and wine, and fun things to do? All of that and more is coming together at this year's Santa Barbara Culinary Experience, March 13th to 15th, 2020. Three-plus days of unique, only-in-Santa-Barbara events, including cooking demonstrations, wine tastings, culinary talks, workshops and classes, farm tours, and guided farmer's market visits, as well as special meals from top chefs like Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger, Ludo Lefebvre, and Chris Bianco, and dinners at Santa Barbara's hottest dining spots like The Lark and BBG. Tickets and passes are on sale now. Go to sbce.events to check it out and buy yours today. You'll even have the chance to attend a live Inside Julia's Kitchen taping. Special hotel rates are on offer until mid-February. Don't miss it, as I'd love to see you there. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Did you know Julia was a dame? No, she didn't have a British royal title, only a Légion d'honneur for service to France. However, she was, in fact, the first anointed Grand Dame of the Les Dames d'Escoffier International, or Les Dames, as it's often called. Julia was a proud and valued member of this professional organization for women in the hospitality industry. While Julia resisted being branded a feminist, she understood that in a man's world, sisterhood had value. More simply, Julia believed in helping others just as friends and family had helped her. So mentoring, advising, and helping other women develop their own careers interested Julia greatly. Further, as the ultimate lifelong learner, Julia enjoyed what she could share with a group of like-minded women. So for the last decade, the foundation has been very proud to support Les Dames Legacy Awards, a mentorship and professional development program in which women in food and drink are invited to intern at various dames organizations. Among the Legacy Awards on offer this year, a week's immersion at Jose Cuervo's HQ in Mexico, a week cooking, sourcing, and working at Compère Le Pen in New Orleans, one of Eater National's best American restaurants, and a week during this fall's wine harvest at Wenty Family Estates with today's guest, Dame Amy Hoops. Amy is the president of the Wenty Family Estates, a collection of wineries in Northern California's Livermore Valley. Wenty Family Estates includes the oldest continuously operated family-owned winery in the United States, and even extends to include a golf course and restaurant. She began her career at E&J Gallo Winery, rising to director of marketing, joining Wenty in 2007 as VP Marketing before becoming its CMO and now president. She's a member of the Wine Institute's Communications Committee, the Monterey Wine Growers Association, and president of the Livermore Valley Wine Growers Association. She joins us today to share her experiences as a wine industry professional, a lay dom, and a veteran participant in their Legacy Awards program. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thanks for having me, Todd. 
Well, we're excited to start the conversation and let's start with you. So from your chair that you sit in now, do you still feel like, is it unusual for a woman, especially a non-family member, to be the president of a wine business? Well, it's an interesting question. There are more and more women uh, getting involved in senior levels in the wine industry every day, but we're still very much under indexed. From an um, executive level, I'm not sure of the numbers, but the last survey that Sonoma State did back in 2018 found that 21% of the wine industry's senior and executive levels were held by women uh, versus when you look outside into top leadership positions held by women, um, a corn ferry survey said it's 25. So we're slightly under-indexed, but as you can tell, whether it's 21 or 25%, still grossly underrepresented for women being 50% of those out there. Wow. And so you said that Corn Ferry study was across all industries or or, or what was it? It was across all, all industries. Yeah, all industries. Um, talking about it was a Fortune 1000 um, representation, actually, the Corn Ferry um, survey. The Sonoma State was wine industry specific, saying one, 21%. But again, that was in senior leadership and executive. When you get to actual executive level, um, it's less than 5% in the um, CEO spot or president spot for kind of greater industry. And within the wine industry, it's even lower. And so in your experience, because you've had kind of a, a, a sort of strong and steady rise at, at some very established places, how has it been different for you or do you, do you feel it has impacted your your experience getting to where you you've gotten to uh being a woman is that the question <laughs> correct yes in the rise so i've been 22 years in the industry and i've been really fortunate to work for just two fantastic family owned wineries i know in the introduction you'd mentioned that i worked for ian j gallo and now i work for the wenty family and both of those establishments actually have done a wonderful job ensuring that they were, you know, supporting a business where they allowed people that were succeeding to rise. And it really, um, there just wasn't as many women in those organizations to have those numbers rise, right? So it is the wine industry, total alcoholic beverage is pretty male dominated still today. So part of the problem is an inflow problem, Right. <laughs> that you don't have as many women joining the industry on the entry level as they get up and through. Um, that's improved. We're seeing nearly 50% women now um, in entry-level jobs. But by the time you get to middle management, we're finding that, you know, you're having representation less than 30% and then even smaller. So for me, it was really about just, you know, working hard and fortunately having some really great mentors along the way. And what do you think the, the barriers are? I mean, I think there's a lot of general discussion about what the barriers are. Do you think they're the same in the wine industry as in general, or do you think there are some un- unique ones? I think they're pretty similar, actually, um, you know, across industries. In the wine industry, um, you find more women in the same types of positions you see in other industries. So you see more women in HR, in marketing. You see less in sales, less in viticulture, less in winemaking. Again, that's continuing to change as the industry um, overall evolved and some wonderful organizations that are supporting women in the wine industry, like um, the um, Women of the Vine and Spirits. They've done a wonderful job really uh, providing support and mentorship because one of the things that is is really important, both in the wine industry and any industry, is that you can't really be what you can't see. And so when there's so few women at top levels within 
our industry, the wine business, it becomes difficult for younger women to understand what are they working towards. And that's where organizations like Leidon um, Escoffier and um, <clears throat> Women of the Vine and Spirits are so important to provide a, you know, visual achievement mark for women to say it is possible to succeed in these industries. And, um, you know, those of us that are in those higher levels are willing to, you know, lend a hand and give mentorship to show people that path. And what do you think it was that helped, or maybe is that part of what helped your rise within the wine industry? Or were you someone who just knew from an early age you were passionate about wine and that's what you were going to do and you were just bound and determined? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. I, was, I did not know I wanted to be in the wine industry. I actually grew up on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, and my grandfather actually was in the beer business. And um, my family <laughs> nearly had a... <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they rarely had a bottle of wine on the table for any occasion. Um, and actually, when I was in college, I was recruited by the E&J Gala Winery into a management program that just sounded really interesting. It was a rotational program, get some experience in sales, in marketing, in international marketing. And I thought, wow, what a great way to just get a view of what's out there. And then I'll figure out what I want to do with my life. That, that's what I thought 22 years ago. And, and here I am today, I'm the president at Wente. And really, to your exact question of what got me here, it's a combination of some really great bosses along the way. And many of them in the early days were men, but they were men that understood talent was more important than gender. And they were willing to stick their neck out and, and push me up for um, you know a promotion against somebody else. Maybe we had the same skills, um, but they wanted to make sure that there was more diversity and thought leadership coming through on their team. And so that was really great early on. And, you know, I think as, as I've evolved, I mean, I work for a woman, right? Carolyn Wente, fourth generation. She's our CEO, uh, huge inspiration. And while, yes, she's a family member, she is a phenomenal leader and businesswoman and mentor. And that's been really inspiring for me um, since I've been at Wente Family Estate. Well, and I was going to ask you about, you know, sort of, as a marketer rather than a winemaker, which is maybe more typically who gets interviewed on a, on a show like ours, um, you know, they might also be the person who owns the winery, but they're very involved in, in the product, maybe less, less so than the coming at it from a very business point of view. But do you think, uh, I was actually seeing like wine and beer are very different products, but then at the same time, being in the beverage industry and coming from a family that was exposed to that, do you think that was part of maybe why it, it clicked together for you? Or do you think wine is, is, is incredibly unique as uh, running a business? I mean, wine is definitely unique. And uh, while my grandfather was in the beer business, he had shut down that business long before I was, um, you know, I was even three years old. That business had, had gone away. But um, the, the, wine, the wine business is, is unique. And as you said, um, wine making and the winemakers, obviously it's about, it's about the product and the earth, but what we have um, at Wente Family Estates is wonderful. We actually have um, estate vineyards where we're growing the wines, making the wines, and then um, we get to obviously bottle them, market them, and, and integrate hospitality as well. So what we're seeing at Wente Family Estates is the opportunity to integrate uh, marketing, not just for a product that may have been sourced somewhere else, but that comes from our vineyards. So there's a high interaction between our marketing and sales teams with our viticulturalists and winemakers because we really represent a kind of a complete 360 of 
from the vineyard into the bottle and through a hospitality experience. So it is it is a bit different. So the you know the the marketing and the engagement of that is is really special. And, and do you think is that an evolution in the wine business, or do you think that it's really always been true that the most successful wineries put as much emphasis on the running of the business as the making of the wine? Oh, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, recently, I had the honor of of speaking um, with the Silicon Valley Bank. They do an annual industry report. And Rob McMillan, who runs that report, does all the research for it, um, actually says that he thinks the largest difference today in the success and or um, lack of success within winery businesses actually is attributable to the management. So he would say that the management is even more important than the making of the wine because over the last 20 years, the quality of wine at all price points and all levels has risen so much that it's, it's uh, smaller differentiations in, in quality, if you will, around certain price points. And, and the larger factors of success have to do directly with management. So I, I think it's, a, you know, it's an interesting thought. Well, and I guess, do you feel like there's also sort of like two wine industries? There's the romanticized view of, you know, that people have of like, you know, getting away from it all, having this beautiful property, doing what they like creatively and creating this wonderful product, which usually works out well if you were already made all your money in a hedge fund. But <laughs> if you're actually trying to run it as a business, it, it's kind of a whole kettle of fish. So do you think there are actually still like kind of two parallel streams or do you really see it as all one wine industry and, and, and most people in it? are having to really tackle the business issues to make it work as well as the, the more romantic and, and um, creative issues? I think that's another excellent question, Todd. The, um, it's really astute to, to recognize there really are two, two pieces to the industry, as you said, those that, that have come to the industry with money um, and are really uh, maybe they're hobbyists on a small level or maybe they just have the love to be able to share that romanticized version of, of wine country, if you will, um, with their consumers. And then, and then there is the business of wine. But across all of it, I mean, the wine industry exists and continues to you know, evolve and thrive because we are businesses creating products for consumers, right? So while um, the engagement from a consumer standpoint might be a little bit different than other consumer products goods, you know, you're not thinking about buying toilet paper or shaving cream the same way you are as a bottle of wine and the, and the stories and the history that may be behind it. Um, but it. But it still does fundamentally need to be a business unless you have super deep pockets. And that's just a very, very small percentage of, of the wine industry that is funded in that way. So it, it, business uh, acumen and management does matter. And so just because of your unique perspective, particularly quoting that 20% and lower figures, how, how, how would you describe what the environment in is the wider wine industry is right now for women? I mean, it sounds like it, it must feel that it is still pretty male-dominated. Yeah, it is definitely still male-dominated as an industry. However, it is, um, it is getting better. And like I said, because of mentorship and programs that are, that are really – Stressing, I think, what any industry needs to do, which is recognize the value that diversity and inclusion has. So whether it's along the lines of gender or race or, you know, other, other identifiers, you know, 
any research will tell you that having diversity um, in across the company as well as in senior management, especially in the C-suite, you get better performance to the bottom line. So um, it, it's evolving. It's continuing to evolve. But yeah, it's still, um, still a lot of men out there, but a lot of good men that understand you know, the, the opportunity to continue to diversify that C-suite and, and the management impact that it has. And, and do you think, I, I feel like I might have been paying close enough attention or, or, or sort of live in the place where it's more of a local issue, but I feel like, you know, there was a giant shockwave after Me Too movement started, particularly in the restaurant world and particularly in the New York restaurant world. And have you felt that same shockwave in the wine industry or, or what's your perception of, of kind of the Me Too impact in, in the wine world? Well, I think that the Me Too impact has been um, really eye-opening for everybody across all industry. And as you said, it really did shake hospitality in general, um, restaurants and potentially the behaviors that were happening in those kitchens. Um, and the, you know, lack of a, a quality of, of treatment of people. And, and, you know, we saw the same in wine. And in wine is a little, you know, akin to restaurant and hospitality because fundamentally you're talking about an alcoholic beverage, right? And in, in certain areas, could that then um, become an excuse as for a behavior versus, you know, understanding that those behaviors, regardless of the situation, are inappropriate? So the, the Me Too movement, I think, within wine, while we didn't have any, you know, great icons go down, <laughs> as maybe hospitality or showbiz did um, in the Me Too, it definitely enabled a voice and a different conversation to happen, which I think is appropriate and necessary in all industries. Yeah, I was just thinking about it. Was wine so male dominated that there 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 wasn't as much opportunity? Or it is kind of a, <laughs> interesting in in such a male dominated business that you wouldn't have had a giant shockwave. Or do you think there was something different about wine culture, at least compared to restaurant culture? Mm, I, it's definitely a bit different, and potentially even a bit more segmented um, as to where the men and women were working and at what levels. I think that's probably a good observation that maybe there just not as many women in those um, top seats that had, um, you know, experienced those types of interactions and or at some level when there's such a small number of women in those top spots, is it worth it to have a voice, right? It's not that Me Too happened all of a sudden in the last couple of years and so people started speaking about it. It's been happening for decades. And now there was enough women in certain industries that found one another that felt the courage and strength to come together and speak about it, right? So um, I'm not saying that there's not – that there's not bad choices or inappropriate treatment that's happened within the wine industry. We're not immune to it at all. Um, And again, the Me Too movement, I mean, we did see people act differently immediately after Me Too hit the news. I mean, I was at industry events and industry events where normally I would see, um, you know, counterparts from other from other um, wine companies or alcohol beverage companies, and normally they'd be, hey, Amy, great to see you, and they would hug me. Right after Me Too, there was not, it was a, you know, there's a five feet between us now. Like, they wouldn't even walk in because <laughs> they felt so awkward. So, you know, it definitely, again, raised the level of awareness of, I'm going to take accountability for my behavior. And, and that's important, and I think that's a great impact across any business. 
Yeah, no, and I, I think, yeah, oddly, as much as you may have felt that and, and, and is like a barrier, it's also a recognition about, well, it's good because everyone is reevaluating their behavior and thinking about it more consciously exactly. in ways. In, in ways that, uh, you know, probably are a good thing. And especially when you're, I mean, I'm sure most professional events and wine people are not drinking heavily, but certainly when alcohol's in the mix, that's obviously, um, you know, a, an added factor for um, maybe less than ideal outcomes. <laughs> it definitely lends that potential. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we'll talk to Amy Hoops about the Lay Doms and the Lay Dom Legacy Awards, as well as how even you might be able to participate. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep-deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Amy Hoops, president of the Wente Family Estates and a member of the women's professional organization, Les Dames d'Escoffier. So, Amy, t- tell us how and why you got involved with Les Dames d'Escoffier in the first place. Well, I was fortunate enough while working at the E&J Gallo Winery to get involved and learn about Les Dames d'Escoffier early on in my career. So, they were sponsors of the Les Dames d'Escoffier um, National Conference. And I was actually working on a couple of the brands as a brand manager uh, that were going to showcase their wines and support the Dom. So that was McMurray Ranch and Fry Brothers at the time. So I, the first conference that I was able to go to was just so inspired. These are amazing women that are leaders in food, wine, and hospitality. And, you know, coming together to support one another and to share, you know, best practices and, and to network. And as a, as a young woman, I was just so inspired by that and was, again, fortunate enough when I worked for E&J Gallo to go a couple of years in a row to represent not only some of the Gallo portfolio, but to interact with these wonderful women. And it was um, in 2007 when I received an invitation to join Les Dames de Escoffier by a woman by the name of Sandy Hu. And she's a force in PR and a, a wonderful woman. And she and I had gotten to know each other over, over those couple of years of sponsoring uh, Les Dames when I was at Gallo, and she invited me to, to join, and I was uh, inducted in, in the spring of 2007 into the San Francisco chapter. 
Well, and I'm just connecting the dots. Is that how you met Carolyn Wenty through Les Dames? Because she's obviously been very involved, or or did that, that actually happen independently? It actually happened independently. I was, um, I knew Carolyn Wenty. I actually met Carolyn Wenty's niece when I was working at Gallo. So the Wenty family has a wonderful way of um, continuing their family legacy. Uh, they're a fifth generation um, winery now, Carolyn's fourth generation, and many of her nieces and nephews are involved in the business. And her niece at the time, um, the Wentys require, <laughs> or strongly suggest, we'll say, that any of the, the children that want to get involved in the wine business actually have to work outside of their business for, they ask, around five years. So Christine had graduated from college the same year I did. And so Christine Wentzi and I met on our first day of work at Gallo. And so it was really wonderful, um, you know, that I was able to meet Christine and form a relationship. And through Christine, I met Carolyn. So that was back in the late 90s that I met Carolyn. And um, it was, you know, it was a nice, it, it was nice to, to do that. And it was later that I learned of Carolyn's engagement. She was actually one of the um, original San Francisco uh, Le Dom members. But it was, it was kind of parallel paths. So I, I'd known Carolyn. I learned about Le Dom separately. And then I ended up getting inducted into Le Dom. And then also, uh, actually, that same year, 2007, going to work for Carolyn. It was at the induction ceremony for Le Dom Escoffier that Carolyn Wenty gave me my offer letter to come be uh, their vice president of marketing. So it was, it was an interesting kind of full circle activity. So not the catalyst, but very much in, in, in the whole uh, mix of, of your experiences. Absolutely. Well, I'm also struck by something that I think I was looking at before that maybe even you had referenced that there's a certain camaraderie in the wine industry, because I'm really struck that actually the Wenties could go and say, you have to go work for another winery, and another winery would say, oh, yes, we'll welcome some of the Wenty family, knowing that they're probably going to go back with our trade secrets to their family <laughs> business. Oh, that uh, I mean, the wine industry is unique in that way. At the core of the wine industry, it's a lot of farmers. And farmers, while maybe having similar crops or being competing areas, they want to help one another, right? Farming is hard. Farming depends on Mother Nature. And, you know, the Gallo family has a lot of vineyards, and they are, they are farmers at the core, and the Wente family as well. So, the uh, relationship of the Wenty family and the Gallo family goes back a couple of generations because the Wenty family started in 1883 with their vineyards and their winery. And it actually wasn't until after Prohibition in the 1930s that the Gallo family got involved. And so the uh, third generation of the Wentys actually were very much um, involved with the Gallos in helping them start their winery and giving them advice. And again, you know, in the in the farming business, these families uh, continue to to reach out to one another and share best practices and and want to help where they can. And, and you see that happening today. So it's not really a uh, trade secret of you know a special formula for wine because the formula is grow the best grapes you can and you know make a wine that expresses those grapes, right? So everybody's vineyards inherently is going to give you something different in the end. And if you can share best practices on great ways to, to farm and, and to make wine, they're happy to do it. So it, it is unique, but it is a, a wonderful part of, of the industry. 
Well, I think that was a great encapsulation of, of the reasons behind it. And it kind of relates to what I wanted to ask you about next is to describe the Laydom Legacy Awards, because while they have a little bit more specificity and are across many industries, they relate to that same notion of, of, of sharing what you've learned and passing it along. And and um, tell us more about what they are and, and what they offer the, the women who get selected to participate. Absolutely. Um, so the Les Dames de Escoffier, um partnered actually nine years ago, I believe it was, with the Julia Child Foundation and have been presenting these legacy awards. And what they are is they are um, curated culinary experiences that allow women to enhance their career. So it, this is um, open to women that have a minimum of four years in the culinary hospitality or beverage industry and they can apply, and then they are um, given the opportunity to spend, usually it's about a week, with um, a sponsoring dom or chapter that put together a fantastic culinary experience. So I think you mentioned some um, up front around some of the awards that are, that are happening this year in the kind of summer of 2020 around food production and supply chain. Um, that's going to be in Austin, Texas with Quality Seafood. We have a wonderful journalism award um, happening in Chicago. As you mentioned, we're hosting a wine and hospitality award um, in the Livermore Valley at Wente Family Estates. There's a great uh, spirits, fine spirits award that's going to be uh, hosted in, in Mexico by Jose Cuervo at their headquarters, a culinary award in New Orleans, and an agricultural award that will happen actually um, out of our Sacramento chapter here in California. Um, with their you know, renowned farmer's market at, um, in Davis and some of the wonderful um, other agriculture that's happening there. So, again, these, these awards just really are a wonderful way to pay it forward um, as Les Dames de Escoffier members are, are truly impactful women within their industry, whether it be you know, beverage, um, hospitality, or food. And they, they are taking it as an opportunity to bring in you know, up-and-coming women um, wherever they are in their career, to give them an additional exposure and to build more mentorship and, and networking. So, you know, our, our winners get to go and experience this um, activity for whatever award they're uh, selected. And then they also are um, invited and, and uh, it's covered the cost to have them come and join us at our annual meeting um, that happens in October and to share their experiences with us and to meet more even more women uh, within my dom. So again, a great um, opportunity for mentorship, for leadership, and for networking for women in those um, industries that are looking to further their career. Yeah, and I wanted to clarify, because I think it's easy with with all the, the different bits of interesting information. And I always think I'm always jealous of all the opportunities offered, because I, I would raise my hand to do any of them, but I'm completely the wrong gender. But the other thing that I always think is important to clarify, they are specifically for people who are not members of LADOM. And that, I think, can't be said enough, because I think it's easy to get confused that you need to be a member already to do these. Do you find that, or do, do people usually understand that quite clearly. I think it's a great clarification to be made. So thank you for doing that. Um, I'm not sure if people are confused or not, because we don't, we don't get to see, I'm on the um, committee that gets to help review the applications. Of course, I don't see applications 
of anybody except those that aren't bombs because that's the requirement. So I, I don't know how many people might be confused, but but it is a great point of clarification that this is, yes, an opportunity for lay doms to reach out to women that are, are not yet members, um, but have a interest and uh, expertise in certain areas and really want to grow themselves within their area of expertise. And we often do see over time that, that some of these legacy award winners later go on to become doms. Um, it's not a it's not a guarantee. It's not a prerequisite. Um, but again, a, a way for um, our membership at Laidam Coffee to reach out to up and coming women that are interested in you know deeper enriching experiences and be able to get a, a taste and a, and a look at what Laidams can do. And yeah, j- so basically, the, there are two key requirements: you need to be a woman, and you need four years <laughs> of of some type of relevant experience in in the food and hospitality and beverage industry and or beverage industry. Correct. Yep, four years of experience and not be a dumb. Those would be the requirements. And there is more information on our website ldei.org. And applications are actually open right now. And they're open until March 16 of 2020 for the events this summer. So if there's interested listeners out there that want to learn a bit more about the Legacy Awards and put in an application, they can visit us again at our website, ldei.org, and have those applications in by March 16th. And maybe to to further spur people on, can you just tell us about, because I know Wendy Family Estates has offered one frequently, maybe kind of take us through maybe the overview or or a a day in the life kind of experience when you do the program, the Legacy Award program at Wendy Family Estates. Absolutely. We love hosting um, our Legacy Award winners. We have done it nearly every year for the past nine um, and two of those years, we actually uh, took two winners um, because we had such terrific applicants. Um, we decided we would take on, you know, two women at the same time to really engage. So the experience at Wente Family Estates is really, really uh, robust and very integrated. As I'd mentioned earlier, um, Wente Family Estates has their estate-grown vineyards. We're making our own estate wines. And we also very much recognize the role hospitality plays in allowing wine to be a part of a a balanced and enjoyable lifestyle. So when you come to the Livermore Valley, where we're located, you actually will be able to engage at some time in the vineyard with our viticulturalists. You'll be in the winery with our winemakers and lab technicians and, and really learning that process there. You also get an opportunity to spend some time with our our marketing team that will take you through how we've built out our portfolio and how we communicate in today's age, um, not just um, unilaterally, but kind of that omni-channel outreach for communicating hospitality and beverage business, because then you get to come and enjoy um, some time both back of house and front of house in our hospitality experiences. So we have a golf course on property. We also have um three different tasting lounges, if you will, with different interactions. Some are really focused on not just wine tasting, but food and wine pairings. Um, we have, you know, four different culinary experiences and, and chefs on property that you can, you can engage in different ways. So we're able to offer, again, not just a wine experience, but an integrated hospitality experience and show those legacy winners a, a viewpoint from, the vineyard all the way through to the guest experience right there on property with so many different touch points. 
And I think we started to touch on this, but I think it's it's pretty important to talk about the mentoring component of it. And, you know, yes, it's kind of a rec- potential recruitment program for Laydom, but I, I can see that members participate in it for, for other reasons and kind of maybe the other purpose behind Laydom in terms of giving back and supporting each other in the industry. So could you talk more about, like, obviously you just described that Wente Family Estates is pretty invested offering off more than one opportunity. What what do what does Wente get out of participating in the program or what do you feel they get out of it? Well, I think first and foremost, as you said, that the ability um, to really get to invest in these women that will be the future of, you know, tomorrow's food, wine and hospitality businesses. We, um, you know, many of these women will go on to be leaders in those, in those part of the industry. So for us at Wente Family Estates to be able to, to meet and engage with those women early on, whether they become doms or not, is, is important, right? We have beautiful experiences on property in the Livermore Valley. However, we also, um, you know, we sell our wine across all 50 states in the United States and in over 75 countries internationally. So with that kind of a footprint, the more we can interact with future leaders in food, wine, and hospitality, and they can become familiar with our brand and with our uh, story and how we care for the wine from the vineyards through to um, the wine in the bottle, regardless of where it's served around the world, if that's important. We also learn. We learn a lot. Um, not only having the opportunity to bring you know people to our property and share our story and our practices, but these women are, as I said, they're they're future leaders in this industry, and and we ourselves get to learn a lot and and have an insight by having that external um, voice and perspective. So it really is a, a two way learning process. We can invest in these women and give them an experience they may not otherwise have access to, but independently, everybody. Uh, our company that interacts with these award winners every year talks about how much they've learned, whether it's, um, you know, one of the specialists we had in a couple of years ago, she's very active in, in the food business, but she's very, very um, <clears throat> engaged actually in AI. And so in artificial intelligence and learning and figuring out how to merge these, these two evolving um, um, trends and, and future positions and how does it fit into the hospitality and culinary industry and, you know, just her insights and her enthusiasm opened up a lot of people's eyes at our company. So, so we gain a lot, um, not just fulfillment of being able to mentor and invest in these up and coming women, but also really just informationally and, you know, getting outside of our own bubble sometimes and, and recognizing all the different, um, you know, insights and, and experiences that they bring to us when they visit. Well, I think that's a great explanation of how mentorship is really a two-way street. It's not just sort of a push-down kind of thing. Do you, do you think that food and drink mentoring programs like the Legacy Awards are, are even more important for women than men or, or serve a unique role? What's your perspective on that? I think that you know, regardless of, of gender, having opportunities exposed is, is important to anybody when you specifically ask about, you know, men versus women, or are they more important for women than men? I think today the answer is probably yes, and it's because there aren't as many women in those higher-up positions across these industries that can naturally mentor women. So having specific programs to be able to give, um, you know, up-and-coming women a, a chance and an opportunity to see themselves in a future place is important. So I do think that 
Um, they, they play a role in helping us continue to, um, you know, equalize the playing ground out there, if you will. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great observation of, of, of the value. All right. What part do professional organizations play in your own life? Would the food world really benefit from more mentorship programs, do you think? Send us an email or even a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org to let us know. After the break, Amy's going to reveal her own Julia moment. We'll be right back. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. No, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory moment or how she's inspired them in their career. Okay, Amy, what's your Julia moment? My Julia moment. I mean, she's a fantastic woman, as you all know. And I identify with her on the fact of being a lifelong learner and you know, always continuing to engage with others. I unfortunately never had the opportunity to meet her um, personally. While she was a dom and really involved, I became a dom after um, you know, she had already passed. So my Julia moment actually has to do with her ability to inspire women and to be able to engage you to be a lifelong learner. And that was when this past summer, I had the opportunity to take my two young daughters to the Smithsonian National Museum of American History and take them to see Julia's Kitchen that's there. And it was a fantastic opportunity for my young girls who both love to cook and bake and hang out with mom in the kitchen um, to really understand a little more about Julia's story and being able to explain to my daughters what Julia has done for the uh, food industry and the impact that she has made in, in the culinary world. And then to, to have them read the plaque, and know that, that Julia had been a dom. And they said, Mom, you're one of them. And, and just to see the, the brightness in their eyes that, that such an icon as Julia and the impact that she's made can actually continue to pay forward in others as we, as we grow and evolve as lifelong learners. Well, I have to say that that is is lovely, and we we love hearing stories like that. So, thank you so much for sharing that with us, and and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a joy. And thanks everyone for listening. As Amy talked about, to learn more about the 2020 LaDom Legacy Awards program, you can go to ldei.org, click on Awards, then Legacy Awards for all the information on these six different opportunities that are on offer and how to apply. Applications are due March 16th, 2020. And remember, you do not need to be a LaDom member to apply, although you do need to be a woman in food, drink, and hospitality. And you can also get more insights if you are just getting up to speed on what LADOM do on social media, of course. They are at LDEI Dames Descoffier on Facebook and at LADOM INTL on Instagram and Twitter.
To learn more about Wenty Family Estates, if you don't already know their wines, go to wentyvineyards.com, it's W-E-N-T-E, or at Wenty Vineyards on Facebook. You can follow them on at Wenty on Instagram and Twitter, or you can go right to the top and follow Amy Hoops. She's at Hoopster, H-O-O-P-E-S-T-R on Instagram, and at A Hoops on Twitter. Make sure you're keeping up with all the Foundation has in store in 2020 by following the Foundation at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF on I'm at T Shulkin, T-S-C-H-U-L-K-I-N on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks, as always, to my co-producer of the Foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Amanda Wang. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. Please remember to give us a review. It really helps new listeners discover the show. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the AHRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Sherry Bayer, the host of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm thrilled to let you know about Host, Summit Plus Social, a new conference for and about the hospitality industry, taking place Monday, January 27th, 2020, at the William Vale in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York City. Based on my all-in-the-industry show, Host, which stands for Hospitality Operations, Services, and Technology, will bring behind-the-scenes talent in hospitality to the forefront in a live format featuring guests from some of my most popular episodes, including Drew Niporent, Rita Jamey, Crystal Mobiani, J.J. Johnson, and Jeff Gordonier. Our event will include intimate panels, one-on-one interviews, industry news discussions, curated lunch conversations, and more. Plus, of course, we will have outstanding food and drink throughout the day, including an energizing closing reception. For more information and tickets, please go to allintheindustry.com. And also, please follow us at All Industry on Instagram.